Parenting teens is hard. Parenting teens in crisis is even harder. And we live in a culture that is really good at hiding. See, we keep these struggles tucked in really tight around us. And so when something happens in our families that's tough and maybe even a little embarrassing, we feel like we're all alone. I promise you that you're not. But you definitely need a place where you can be a part of honest conversations that give a voice to the challenges you are facing. A place that normalizes the hard that we have to walk through with our teens. So I'm inviting you to join us on this path towards healing, where we'll discuss topics that drive out shame and teach us how to navigate the emotions and uncertainty that come with parenting a teenager in crisis. This twice monthly podcast is presented by Pathways to Hope Network, and we strive to do all of that while honoring the unyielding love a mother has for her child. The other day I was sitting in a coffee shop across from a mama who I had recently met and like most of us listening, she had some pretty big stuff that was going on with her son. And I could tell as I was sitting there that the weight of all of this was really beginning to take its toll on her. She looked very thin and very tired. And she had this look about her that I don't even know how to describe. I just, you know it when you see it in someone where it is just moment by moment for them. Like their life is literally in this place where it's moment by moment. And you've probably been there before. I know I've been there before. And as we sat and just sipped some warm coffee on a cold, rainy Northwest day, she was sharing with me some of what's going on in her life and talking about this looming fear of the unknown and how so much of her exhaustion was coming from that. And I get that. I, I get that. I think for so many of us, the biggest problem that we have in the lives of our kid is not even what's going on with them at the moment because if you knew that that was the extent of it and that it wasn't going to get any worse that would feel manageable I think the most exhausting part is the waiting and the wondering and the worry that there's something bigger out there that's around the corner that you guys are going to have to face there's going to be another hurdle or another mountain to climb and you're tired. You're tired. I know that you're tired. And fear will do that to you. Fear of what's coming in the future, which we know nothing about, good or bad, will tire you out faster than anything else. And so we've been doing this um, online workshop on the four principles of fighting fear. And we've been meeting for about an hour, which is like not even near long enough, um, once a month. 
And this is kind of, this is like only the second time, I think, second or third time I've done an online workshop because I wasn't really sure like what kind of interest it would generate and would people come. And, you know, it does require a ton of vulnerability to get on a podcast or not on a podcast, but on a online workshop and you're around people that you don't know. And, you know, you're talking about some hard stuff and you don't know if you're going to have to share and how comfortable you are with sharing. And, and so when we have them and people come, I am just so, 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 so impressed with those moms that show up because I know the battle that had to be fought within you to take that step. I know that anytime we're listening to a podcast, anytime we're reading a book, anytime we are attending a workshop, going to a support group, it's making a commitment that we're still in the fight. And sometimes we're so freaking tired. We just, we, we can't even find the energy, excuse me, we can't even find the energy within ourselves to commit to continuing to fight. That's a heavy and hard thing. And so when when mamas show up, like the mamas who did this um, this last session, and you know who you are, and I know you're listening, I just have so, so much respect for you. And I just want you to know that I'm so proud of you. Even if you didn't attend the workshop, even if you didn't find the courage this one time, but you you're still listening, I'm so proud of you. This is hard, sis. This is hard. And every day you make the choice to get up and try again. And I know that some days that is heavy, but you do it. And I just hope that you can trust me when I say that all of this trying and all of this showing up and all of this waking up and choosing to do it again and again and all of this not giving up may or may not produce the fruit that we hope it's going to produce, but I promise you it will produce fruit. And it will be good fruit. And it is good for you. And it is good for your kid. Because even if you can't fix their problems and newsflash... You can't fix their problems. They are seeing that somebody is not afraid to love them at their worst. And that is what we crave and we long for as human beings. That's the love that God gives us. And that's the love that we are called to give our children. And it's hard, right? (laughs) It's hard. I think one of the biggest pieces of fruit that I have received in this journey is that I begin to really recognize um, how many times I screw up, how many times I need grace, how many times I handle a situation poorly, and um, how much much I still want a father who loves me and accepts me and understands me and forgives me and gives me endless grace right so I don't really talk about this side of things a ton on this podcast but 
I just want you to know that this is not going to be wasted. The time that you are spending right now, the struggle that you are going through, the mountain that you are desperately clawing your way one step at a time, grabbing roots and falling back and slipping and sliding, you're still moving up and it won't be wasted. So I wanted to share with you today a little bit more about fear. And this is what we covered in, um, I think it was day three of, um, so the third month of uh, the four principles of fighting fear. And the third principle of fighting fear was that um, in order to fight fear, you have to understand fear. And so we spent some time talking about um, what are our fear triggers, right? What are the things that man, when this thing happens, I am instantly beginning to get on the bike of worry, the cycle (laughs) that we do, um, that we stay on until we're exhausted and we finally are able to just at least put it down for a minute before we jump on the next bicycle of worry. But we spent some time kind of recognizing what are those fear triggers with you for you and a few people, a few different people shared what those were. You know, I have uh, one mama that I have a deep affection for who um, a a huge fear trigger for her is uh, the phone. And so that could be the phone when the phone's ringing um, and, and she doesn't recognize the number or, you know, just anytime it rings, it's a fear trigger for her, but also when her child has a phone because he's made some kind of um, really concerning choices with his phone. And some of you may be, you know, in this battle also. Pornography is a huge deal, Um, you know, just worrying about social predators and and who people are making friends with um, on social media and not being able to monitor that despite all the parental controls that we put into place. So for her, it's like it it is such a huge fear trigger. And then um, I have, you know, another mama um, friend that for her, it's when her son is out in the community and she's just not aware of like what choices he's making and who he's with and if he says he's going to be where he is. And and so we, we talked about, spent some time talking about these different fear triggers. And so I wanted to give you just a few of the common fear triggers so that if you can't think of anything off the top of your head, I am sure this will jog your memory and you'll go, ah, yes, yes. So maybe keep a tally mark and see how many of these you actually fear. And then um, we'll talk about that after I share them with you. So one is the loss of control. So parents feeling fear over losing control over our teens as our teens are beginning to assert their independence. Another one is judgment from others. So this is like fear of societal judgment that begins to kind of impact our parenting decisions, which leads to anxiety. So we're worried about what somebody's going to say. We handle a situation based on what we're worried about um, other people thinking or other people saying. And then it ends up kind of leading to this place of like anxiety where now it's like we're, we're still worried about what people say, but now we're worried about how we handled the situation and if that was correct. And so we're just, we're questioning everything. We're feeling anxious. Another fear trigger is um, 
academic pressure. So being worried about, you know, are they passing their classes? Are they going to graduate? For some of us, it's like, we're not even, we've, we gave up, you know, um, worrying about graduating. Like that's just not happening. Now we've moved on to, you know, them trying to get their GED or even just trying to keep them clean and sober, right? Like, depending on where you're at in your situation, that's kind of all over the board. So academic pressure is one. Another one is peer influence. So this is concerns about like negative peer influence. So who are they hanging out with? Or um, sometimes it's even a relationship. So who are they in a relationship with? And that person and maybe the toxicity that they might be bringing in, you know, that their family might be bringing in. So uh, peer influence. Another one is communication challenges. So this is when we begin to feel fear because we feel like we are speaking a different language than our teenagers. And so we're having a hard time just like talking to them one on one because either there's like a breakdown of trust. It's it's often I, I would say like 90% of the time it's because there's been a breakdown of trust and that's that could be valid or invalid. It just it just need it just means that in the teen's mind there has been a breakdown of trust. And so now they think we are telling them what to do or instructing them or giving them advice or even talking to them about a concern because we want to control what they are doing and they don't want to be controlled. So they're immediately defensive and we're just trying to communicate concern, right? And so that usually comes from this place of like, we set a boundary with them. They break that boundary. We implement a consequence to that they get angry they don't trust us they think we're trying to control them they interpret that as this is not my mom caring about me this is my mom trying to control me and then it kind of it's a breakdown of trust and so a lot of times that influences how we communicate and so that's why I talk so much about your portion of this problem is not to control what's going on with your teen. Your portion of this problem is to control what's going on with you and making sure that like when we are responding to situations, we're responding from a place of calm so that we know we're coming from a place of love. And I think sometimes it's like we're so in the heat of the moment and so we respond and it's normal. There's nothing wrong with that. So before you start to like put your head down and go, oh, that was, that's me. I did that yesterday. I did too. (laughs) Okay. I did too. It's like, it's not a natural instinct. Fear um, incites in us this urgent need to respond. And so we're having to fight against instinct to tell ourselves, Ooh, hold on. Yikes. Okay, the water's boiling inside me right now. Like this is not, I need to zip, just zip. I gotta, let me remove myself from the entire situation, go sit in another room, calm down. So that when I approach this conversation, my heart is aligned with love. It's not aligned with fear. It's not aligned with anger. It's not aligned with frustration. It's aligned with love. And then I'm going to go in and I'm going to have that conversation with my child. And the energy that I'm giving off, the words that I'm saying, will have a different feel to them than they would 
if I went straight from stimulus to response. And that requires a ton of work, a ton of work that you are not going to be able to do inside yourself if all of your attention and all of your focus is on what's going on outside with your teen. So we come in with a heart that's aligned with love. We address the situation. We express our concern and our care and our worry and our love for them. We give them from a state of calm, a consequence that we feel is reasonable, or we say there needs to be a consequence. And I know that you just made a mistake and you're growing up and you're learning, but in order for me to be a good mom, there needs to be a consequence. But I'd like to come up the consequence with you. I would like for you to be part of this. I would like for you to tell me what seems reasonable to you because in life, we are always going to have consequences. So what seems reasonable to you? And they'll handle that situation one of two ways. They will either be a brat about it. Let's be honest because <laughs> they're still children. They're morphing into adults, but they're still children. So they'll, they'll be a brat and they'll throw a tantrum and they'll, you know, tell you that you're being controlling. And for some of them, they'll likely call you names. For others, they'll, you know, slam a door. They'll walk away. They'll shout. They'll, they'll feel angry. And that's, that's okay. Like, that's a reaction to what you just said. That's how they're feeling in the moment. That's not a reflection of you. That's a reflection of their frustration with the decisions they made not lining up with the world. And that's all of us every day. So it's okay for them to feel that way. So they'll either choose to engage in the process or they'll choose to react to the process. And wherever, however they do with that and with your consistency in modeling this, all that it indicates is where they are right now. Not where they're going to stay forever, but just like right now, this is where they're at in life. They're not going to always handle problems this way. This is how the 15-year-old 15 ver version of themselves responds. This is, this is how the 17-year-old version of herself responds. It's okay. So then you either say, okay, well, you know, we come up with a solution together. What do you think is reasonable? I like to always give my kids kind of the first shot at making the deal with what they think. And then I just think to myself, like, does that feel reasonable? And nine times out of 10, I'll go with what they say because I want them to have control over it. But if, if they're just like, you know, no phone for an hour, then I'll be like, mm, I think we can stretch that a little bit more. I was thinking no phone for a week. Do you want to counter? And I'll give them an opportunity to counter. And then they'll go, well, how about no phone for three days? And I was thinking, really thinking like two days. So that's usually kind of to my benefit. Or I'll just be like, yeah, okay, three days. Because the point of it is not for them to be in a place of like self-loathing for a month where they're, they have nothing else to <laughs> motivate them or experience life because we're, uh, we're obviously taking something away that's important to them, right? So the point isn't to keep them in that place of just like because that just builds tension between us and them the point is there was an action it has a consequence we move on 
because that's, that's life guys, right? That's life for us. There's an action, there's a consequence, we move on. That's what it is. And so we have to be able to understand fear and how that the cycle that it plays in us. So as we operate with the world around us, there's this, like I mentioned earlier, kind of this, this bicycle of fear that we choose to hop on. And the fear cycle basically refers to a self-reinforcing pattern of negative interactions or behaviors that kind of perpetuate and intensify over time. This cycle has a feedback loop where one negative event or one negative behavior ends up leading to another. And then it creates this continuous kind of escalating loop of dysfunction within the family. So here's what that cycle of fear looks like inside of us. There's a triggering event, which ends up leading to a negative reaction, which ends up leading to escalation, which then impacts our relationships. And then there's repetition of the cycle. So that's like one full wheel. And then it goes around and around. And then as it's, as it continues to repeat, that cycle continues to repeat, it ends up having a cumulative effect. So it kind of like, it picks up stuff and pulls it in over the course, which leads to greater consequences. And so breaking the cycle of fear that we have inside of us often requires that we are intentional to interrupt the negative patterns that are happening within us so that we can start to improve communication with our kiddo and we can begin to understand and address the underlying issues within the family. So I've talked about this before as like getting, you know, like getting to the roots of things, getting to the heart of the matter. Um, I've given the metaphor before of like, you know, when you're cutting back blackberry bushes, if you don't dig out the roots, guess what? Every spring, here they come. And what are they doing? Oh, they're bringing friends with them. So now what was a small problem is becoming a larger problem. Um, We have a small little pasture that's next to our house. And we had a row on our fence of blackberry bushes. And it was so nice when we first moved in like 20 years ago. We were like, we have our own little blackberry patch and we would invite our friends over and people would come and pick their blackberries. And it was like this really cool thing. And then every year it got a little further and further away from the fence and further into the pasture. And we were like, oh, yikes. Okay, well, that's okay. You know, still, still, still not that big of a deal. Come on over. You know, we're inviting people over to come pick blackberries And every year as that grew, the more we started to view that as not such a good thing, more of a nuisance, and the more instead of inviting friends over, we were embarrassed by how now it was like taking up half the field. And we ended up having to bring um, an excavator in. Well, my brother-in-law has like a tractor. So he brought his tractor in and pulled all of them out for us. But again... (laughs) you guys, I got a field full of roots (laughs) that if I don't deal with, I know I'm gonna have to uh, just be right back there at the problem again. And it's going to be painful. 
pulling blackberry bushes is painful when the leaves are long and the vines are long. But right now it's cut back and it's going to be easier for me to get to the roots, but it's going to require a lot of digging and we have clay and it's going to suck the same way that breaking this cycle of fear in us is hard work and it's going to require digging and it's going to suck. But if you want to stop wasting all of your energy in the cycle of fear, then this is the path that we have to take. If we want to begin to actually break down the blackberry bushes, we have to start with the decision to grab a shovel and go out into the field. And we don't have to tackle the whole thing in one day. We just got to be willing to dig today, to dig now. So let me talk a little bit about this cycle, break it down for you and tell you kind of how it works. So we talked about first, there is um, a triggering event occurs, right? So what happens is we have like an initial fear response. So fear ends up being triggered in us by a specific situation. And the initial fear response is usually something that takes place with our child. So we see them, we're having an interaction with them, we're talking to them, we find out about something they're doing, we begin to engage in conversation with them about that, which usually, let's be honest, looks a lot like a lecture and really isn't very loving. (laughs) Like, Love's not the thing that's usually shining through on our faces, let's just say when we first go into this initial conversation. Because they're defensive, and we're defensive, and they're angry, and we're angry. And 30%, this is, this is kind of cool. So in our brain, we have neurons. And 30% of our neurons, so three out of every 10 of our, um, of our neurons are called mirror neurons. And what mirror neurons do is that they look at the actions of others and what's going on around them and the field around them and they match to that. So when you're watching a movie and it's sad and you see people are sad and they're crying, you feel sad and you're crying. When you see people smiling and laughing, you smile and laugh. So our energy matches other energy. So when our child comes in and they're angry and they're upset and they're belligerent, what do we want to do? Well, the mirror neurons kick in, right? And so guess what? Here we are with the same energy. And there's a saying that I heard and I was, oh man, guys, I was trying it so hard today, but I could not do it. But there's a saying I heard that said, um, be a thermostat, not a thermometer. So when you walk into a room, when you're dealing with any situation, be the person who sets the temperature, not the person who acclimates to the temperature of the room. And so my husband was grumpy this morning and I was grumpy at him for being grumpy. Do you know that? You know that? Like there's nothing really wrong with you. You're just irritated that somebody else is irritated. You're irritated at their irritation. (laughs) So I was like, be the thermometer, (laughs) not the thermostat. I was telling myself and I was just like, no. He doesn't deserve to see me happy. <laughs> you know, like, like, it's just so crazy the way that our minds work. But anyway, so 30% of our neurons are mirror neurons. So 
when someone around us is feeling anger or anxious or they're they're happy, we end up kind of mirroring very naturally without even thinking about it. We end up mirroring what's going on around us and God wired us this way. And the reason that we're wired this way is because we are relational at our core. As human beings, like relationship is the most important thing to us. You can have people who are millionaires, billionaires. I mean, comedians who make millions of people laugh and they are the most lonely people and they are depressed and they end up taking their lives because relationship is what is the most important thing. And so we should be encouraged because guess what the superpower of a mom is? Relationship. Moms, we are relationship people. Like that's our superpower. And I think that's why for a lot of us, because I know you're thinking this, for a lot of us, that's why we really struggle when we don't have relationship with our kids. It really makes us worry. But that's what we're doing now. That's, that's what this is all about, is getting back to relationship. And relationship begins with the way that you feel about the person that you're in the relationship with. So before anything can ever happen with how your child feels about you, you first need to work through how you feel about your child. And since we are relational at our core, then when we operate on instincts, it only ends up leading us on this cycle of fear. So we have our initial fear response. We move into then reactive parenting. So the fear ends up prompting a reaction in us. And it often leads to impulsive parenting responses. And those impulsive parenting responses usually look like really strict rules or increasing kind of this protectiveness. So we switch into like this overprotectiveness mode, or we really like clamp down and we end up making super strict rules. So instead of taking those opportunities, because now we're getting on the cycle, instead of taking this this fear trigger and searching out kind of what's the underlying issue behind the issue we end up focusing on the symptoms that are going on so we're reacting we're not fo- we're not able to focus on like whoa what what's really going on here because whatever whatever we're seeing is just a symptom of something bigger that's going on. And we deal with the symptom instead of going back and looking at what's the actual underlying or bigger problem that's going on with them. So we end up getting kind of gridlocked by feeling our own anxiety and then fear. And then we look for this quick fix, right? We look for this silver bullet, so to speak. And this reactive approach ends up putting additional strain on our parenting relationship, which then leads to communication breakdowns, which then leads to the teen um, begins to respond either by further rebelling or by withdrawing, which only then exacerbates the fear in us. And then it leads to the next stage, which is confirmation of that fear. So the teen's negative response to our attempt at trying to control a symptom ends up creating a bigger problem, which then confirms the initial fear and it perpetuates the cycle. And we move through that over and over and over again. So I have good news and I have bad news. 
The good news is you can absolutely break the cycle. You can absolutely break the cycle. Note I didn't say you can absolutely fix your child. I said you can absolutely break the cycle. The bad news is just like when you're learning how to ride a bike, you fall off a lot. You're going to fall off a lot. And so this is really going to happen by percentages. You're going to get it right 1% of the time, 2% of the time, 3% of the time, 5% of the time, 10% of the time, 15, 20, then it kind of moves up a little bit quicker until you finally have kind of adopted and like, okay, no, I, I know a different way to handle this. I've trained myself to handle these situations differently. You can do that, but you can't fix what's going on with your child. And so you have to recognize that the work here is work in you, right? The relationship begins with work in you. And once the relationship is right in you, once your heart is right, and anchor to where it needs to be, it's going to be a lot easier, mirror neurons, remember, to be the thermostat in the situation. And you will then begin to see that there are small little shiftings that start to take place. But it won't be fixing. Because we are not in the business of fixing anyone. It's not possible. You can't fix what is not assigned to you, but you can be part of the process that leads to their healing. You can show up in a way that feels better, in a way that actually serves a greater purpose, in a way that you actually have control over. But before we can ever hope to be a part of the healing process, we have to stop the fear cycle within us in order to do what we need to do, which is to practice being a non-anxious presence. So we got to slow down. We got to breathe deep. We got to stop ourselves from getting sucked into their chaos by being able to differentiate ourselves from them. They are angry. They are anxious. They are escalated, but I am okay. I can continue to be calm. I can be compassionate. I can be loving because I'm in control of myself. Think about what happens with the mirror neurons then. This is what leadership looks like in your family. And it can be achieved, but you have to first be willing to slow down. Don't reach for the silver bullet. The quick fix is not a fix. So let me give you three tools for your tool belt on how you just even get started in this process because it is it is a process. I used to think when I would first meet with moms, I used to think to myself as I was sitting across from them, man, I wish I just I wish I had the answer. Oh, it would be so great if I could just say like, here's what you should do. And then they could just do it and then everything would be magically solved. Like that would be amazing. And you know what else? That would also be all about me. That would be about me fixing their problem. And we do that with our kids all the time. We want the problem fixed because we want the life we want. We want the problem fixed because we don't like the disruption to us, right? 
So here's some ideas on how to kind of get this process started. Some things that you can begin just naturally working on and just pick one of them and work on it for a week and see how it goes. Is it getting easier? Is it getting harder? Are you doing it? Do you have the discipline to do it? How can you break it down into little teeny tiny steps that you can do? Teeny tiny things that you can practice. So the first one is building emotional awareness. And I've talked about this before. Being willing to pull the string. When something's happening, when you're having a reaction, talk those things through. Talk them through with somebody. Go to a peer support group and talk it through with a peer support group. Journal about it. Get coaching around it. Talk to your therapist about it. Talk to your best friend about it. But talk about not just the event, but what it was creating inside you, how you were feeling, what that was stirring up for you. Do a little bit of digging there. And in order to do a little digging in those areas, it's going to require some sacrifice from you. So think for just a second about what you will have to sacrifice in order to build emotional awareness. Well, one of the things that you'll have to sacrifice is comfort because it's pretty uncomfortable. Another thing you have to sacrifice is time. You're going to have to be intentional about sitting down with a journal and thinking through or voice notes. I use voice notes a lot on my phone. Um, I also, I also do Marco Polo with clients. So if you're a mom who I'm working one-on-one with, um, and that's definitely an option for you. Shoot me an email if that's something that you're interested in. Um, I'll do Marco Polo videos. And that's a really good way of just like being able to send a video to somebody saying, this is what's going on. This is what I'm feeling and being able to just kind of release it and process through it. And there's nobody, it's like just a video message. So it comes to me and then I, you know, get a chance to kind of get caught up on what's going on with you. And then I might shoot you a Marco Polo back later and say, huh, what do you think about this? Or have you thought about this? And I don't have answers for anybody. I mean, I have a lot of moms who say like, what should I do? What do you think I should do? I mean, I'm not, I really try not to give um, answers. I just, I'll give my perspective though, if something stands out to me and what I think, you know, is a bigger issue that could be potentially going on. But, um, Marco Polo is another great way of doing that. Leaving a voice note on your phone is a great way of doing that. Journaling. I know not everybody feels like they're a journaler, I, but for me, journaling is like a lifeline. I am not mentally well if I'm not journaling. That's my place to be able to just sort through all of the different things that are going on and to kind of just explore what's going on inside of me and get some wisdom around that. But building emotional awareness will require a sacrifice from you. Okay, so another tool is that you could work on communication skills. Working on communication skills is pretty easy. <laughs> it's, it's hard to do in the practice, but it's you get plenty of opportunities for it with a teenager. Because when they are talking to you, usually it's not something you want to hear. <laughs> and so um, some communication skills you can work on are just actively listening. So as they're talking, you're going to find that in your mind, you're playing judge over what they're saying. You're 
thinking about the parts that you agree with and the parts that you disagree with and whatever, you know, feeling you're kind of assigning if this is right or if this is wrong. And that's something naturally that we do in our brains. But active listening is like, no, I'm, there is no right or wrong. My job is just to understand where they're coming from. To see them as just another human being that's sitting across from me and not saying whether what they feel is valid or correct or even right in our minds, but just what's really going on with them? What are they really upset about right now? And a lot of times it helps if you just remove yourself from the equation. So if my son is being disrespectful in that moment, it becomes about me. I'm like, he doesn't respect me. Then I begin to like, oh, wow, okay, that's how you talk to me. You know, like I initially kind of respond with that same thing. But if I can just say, hey, you okay? What's going on? You seem like you're frustrated today. And even if that frustration ends up being about me, which is hurtful and completely invalid because I'm a wonderful mother. But if it ends up being about me, I can say, wow, he's really mad at his mom right now. He really feels like she has been writing his case a lot lately. He's really frustrated about that. And there's just something about that that like helps me have empathy for him. Like, okay, yeah, I get that. I I remember when I was a teenager frustrated with my mom too. And a lot of times it's like, I don't even have to do a fix or anything in that moment. I can just be like, okay, I hear you. And I can stop. I don't, I don't have to win. I don't have to win the argument. I don't have to win the thing. I can just let that be what it is. And I can stop and think to myself, like, is this, is this worthy of pursuing right now? If it means approaching them when they're feeling this way right now. And nine times out of 10, it's not. It's not really worthy of it. So working on your communication skills. And then finally is empathy and understanding. So this is kind of like next level, I would say. After you get to active listening and you have practiced that and you're feeling like, okay, yeah, that's, this is, this is okay. Like I've got this down now. Then you could kind of move on to empathy and understanding. And what that looks like is first kind of validation. So being able to validate your child's feelings and experiences, letting them know that like their emotions are acknowledged, they're accepted, even if you may not agree with their point of view. And what does it feel like when someone who doesn't agree with you is able to validate how you are feeling? If you are having a confrontation with somebody And they're able to say, okay, yeah, I can see how you might feel that way. Because what we're doing is we're not necessarily agreeing with their thought or their feeling or saying that like, that's the truth of the matter. What we're, what we're validating is we're validating that if that is the story that they are telling themselves, then we can understand how they are feeling. But that's not something you want to say to somebody because that's that's kind of like, that doesn't really sound like validation. If that's the story you're telling yourself, yeah, I can totally see how you would feel that way. Like we're, we're not trying to, like, we're not trying to, um, we're not trying to go there, but that's something that we need to know. And so when you're listening to somebody 
and, you know, you listen to your kid and you're like, what's really going on? And then they are, you know, mad and they're angry and, you know, maybe they're storming off or maybe they're, you know, whatever it might be. And they actually kind of say what's on their heart in that moment that you're being controlling or that you're treating them like a child or that all you want is to control them. You're just saying in your mind, you're thinking to yourself, okay, if, if that's the story that they believe, does it make sense that they're feeling the way they're feeling? And yeah, it does, right? You're just kind of acknowledging and accepting their point of view. And so a good response is just like, yeah, I can see how you feel that way. Or yeah, that's, that's tough. That's hard. That's not my intention, but I get it. I, I get that you feel that way. And what it does is it kind of like disarms them a little bit. Like there's no argument anymore, right? There's no needing to express my point of view unless they feel like they need to further go into it. And then great, that's more information. Now you further understand what's going on and where they're coming from. So validation and then um, empathetic responses. So responding empathetically to their emotions, being able to express understanding and empathy by saying things like, yeah, I can see that this is really important to you. Or I can understand that you're feeling upset. To me, an empathetic response is an opportunity to come up for air. It gives everyone a break. The problem ends up getting put on hold while we deal with the feelings. The phrase, tell me more, takes the pressure off of you and them. And sometimes an empathetic response at the end of it, if you don't know what to say and you were just kind of a container for them saying everything, sometimes you could just say, I'd like to think about what you just said and talk more about this later. Thank you for sharing that with me. Because sometimes it can trigger stuff in us. A lot of times it can. And then that's whoop, journal, coaching call, Marco Polo voice text. (laughs) That's a great opportunity when you're like, "Mm, let me just, let me process through all of that. So I just want you to think about kind of like, how is this approach different from what you've been doing? What do you think the biggest challenge is going to be in using some of these tools? And then, you know, kind of how can you help yourself out with that? What are some things that you could do? So first tool, remember building your own emotional awareness. Second tool, begin working on communication skills, just active listening, and then moving into validation and empathetic responses. Those are three things that'll kind of help break that fear cycle. Okay, that's it today. I think this podcast is, yep, it's actually a lot longer than usual, um, but I feel like it was a good one. So hopefully that's helpful for you. As you know, um, if you um, have a question, if you want to talk about something, if you are ever feeling overwhelmed and you need a place to release, you can send me an email about what's going on with you. Um, You can schedule an appointment by going to our Pathways to Hope Network website. There's a spot there where you can get on my calendar and it'll just pop up. So I I meet people that way all the time. They just get book book a slot on my calendar and then I see, oh, I have a meeting tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. with somebody brand new. And um, just begin talking through this process together. 
And then, you know, as that builds and um, as we kind of feel the need for it, we'll move that more into more of like an online support group process. But for now, I have room in my schedule. So hop on if you need it. It's There's not a cost involved. Yeah, I just want you to know you're not alone and that this is hard. So I'm here for you. I'm proud of you. Keep showing up. Break the cycle. Grab the shovel. What other metaphors did I use today? (laughs) Have a good one. I'll talk to you guys next time. Okay, friends. Well, that wraps it up for this week. I really hope that you found this information helpful and that it served you in some way. In complete transparency, I want you to know that I am not in any way, shape, or form an expert in the field of parenting. Nope. You are not going to find any fancy initials after my name. In fact, I'm just a mom like you who had to navigate some really tough experiences with my teenage kids. And in my own desperate need for hope and healing, I've spent a lot of time and energy researching and referencing all the things because if there is one thing I have learned, it's that we're stronger together. Your ratings and reviews mean so much to me. In fact, they can make or break a podcast. So if you found this information today helpful, would you please take 60 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review? It would mean so much to me and the mama who hasn't found us yet. Oh, and don't forget to check out Pathways to Hope Network's website and be sure to subscribe. At the beginning of every week, I send out Hope Notes, a note of encouragement designed to equip you on your path towards hope and healing. You can also find Pathways to Hope Network on Facebook and Instagram. Pathways to Hope Network is a nonprofit organization with a mission to serve families with teens in crisis by providing cost-free support, resources, and community. The link will always be in the show notes below. Remember, you were never meant to go through this alone.